We start with reading um, a few verses. Um, uh, one, the first one is Psalm 51, 17, a verse that most of us are very familiar with. <clears throat> 51, 17. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O God, you will not despise. Another one from Isaiah, chapter 57. Verse 15. For thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy. I dwell in the high and holy place with him who has a contrite and humble spirit to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite ones. And finally, chapter 66, the first two verses. Thus says the Lord, heaven is my throne, earth is my footstool. Where is the house that you will build me? And where is the place of my rest? For all these things my hand has made, and all these things exist, says the Lord. But on this one will I look, on him who is poor and of a contrite spirit, and who trembles at my word. Amen. Let us say a word of prayer. Lord, we come before you with grateful, thankful hearts. We humble ourselves before, before you and enter your, pre, your presence with thanksgiving, your courts with praise. And Lord, we ask you for the anointing of your spirit that we may hear the word that you have on your heart to speak to us today. Lord, open our hearts and speak to our hearts directly by your Spirit. Speak, Lord. Your servants are hearing. Amen. Um, I would like to today to speak um, a bit on the subject of brokenness contrition and brokenness and the fear of the Lord. You will notice that the verses all speak about the contrite heart and the broken heart and the contrite spirit. And this brings to our attention the great importance of, of the heart in the Christian life. We we tend to look at outward appearance. Actually, the Lord said to Samuel, the Lord does not see as man sees, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. And the heart is very central for the Christian life, and that's why the Word of God has a lot to say about the heart. Um, there is much in the Word about the inward man, the hidden man of the heart, the heart. So, for example, the Apostle Paul says that he delights in the law of God according to the inner, inward man, that although the outward man is perishing, the inward man 
is being renewed day by day, the daily renewal of the inward man. And that he prays that we would be strengthened with might by the Spirit in the inner man. The Apostle Peter speaks about um, the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and, and quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. It is of great value to God. The Lord desires truth in the inward parts. He will teach us wisdom in the hidden parts. When he makes a covenant with us, he says that I will put my law in their minds and write it in their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And the word of God calls us to trust in the Lord with all our hearts and not lean on our own understanding. Therefore, the psalmist prays, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. See if there be a wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Create in me a new heart, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. For who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. Keep back your servant also from presumptuous sins. Let they have dominion over me. Then I shall be blameless and shall be innocent of great transgression. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. And the Lord promises you shall, search, you shall seek me and you shall find me when you search for me with all your hearts and I will be found by you. See how important the heart is. When God pours out his spirit on us, he sent his spirit into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. When he pours his love by his spirit, he pours it into our hearts. So it's very important. The, the place of the heart is very important. And that's where, um, you know, we, we need to keep our hearts with all diligence because out of the heart spring the issues of life. All our life comes out of the heart. Your thoughts, your words, your inclinations, your desires, your motives, they all come out of your heart. From, from the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So... The word is speaking about um, the, how important it is for God that we should have broken hearts and contrite spirits. And this is what we want to look at uh, because it is very vital for our spiritual life. For without a broken heart and a contrite spirit, there will, there will, our spiritual life will not be uh, you know, full of life. And it is very essential for us as Christians to have that. Uh, our hearts, the, St. Augustine said that our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you because you created us for yourself, O oh God. May we have that hunger and thirst for God. O oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek thee. You, my soul, thirsts for you. My flesh longs for you as in a dry and thirsty land. As the deer pants after the water brook, so pants my soul after you. This is what we want to, to, 
to to nurture and cultivate and and uh, in, you know see the secret of living with that longing and thirsting and hungering and yearning and seeking the face of God in our life because it's so easy to get entangled into the affairs of life and our hearts will become cool and we lose that fresh anointing, that yearning and longing for the living God and fresh communion and fellowship with him every day. So this brings us into uh, you know, the, the, the friendship of the Lord. Do you know that we could be friends of God? Abraham was a friend of God. And actually, the Lord himself said that Abraham is my friend. And shall I hide from Abraham what I do? And that, you know what was the secret of, his, of that intimacy with God? When God asked him to offer his son, his only son, Isaac, whom he loves to him as an offering, and he went all the way to Mount Moriah, and he was about to sacrifice his son. And then the angel of the Lord spoke from heaven told him, do not touch the lad, for now I know that you fear God, because you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. So this was the secret of his friendship with God. Now I know you fear God. Even your only son, your most, you know, your only son whom you love, you did not withhold him from me when I, took, when I asked him for you, asked you to give him to me. And Moses, the Lord spoke to Moses face to face as a man speaks with his friend. But then we all now, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory as by the Spirit of the Lord. For Jesus said, I will no longer call you servants, I will call you my friends. Although we call ourselves and are proud to say that we are his servants, but he calls us my friends. So if, if the secret of that friendship with God is the fear of the Lord, we want to look a little bit on this. The secret of the Lord is with those who fear him, and he will show them his covenant. Who do we share our secrets with? With those very close to us. The Lord says that his secret is with those who fear him. The Lord is near to all who call upon him. To all who call upon him in truth, he will fulfill the desire of those who fear him. He will also hear their cry and save them. So if you want the Lord to fulfill the desire, your desires, be one of those who fear the Lord. For the Lord takes pleasure in those who fear him, those in, who hope in his mercy. He pities them as a father pities his children. He teaches them in the way that he chooses for them. For as the, as the heavens are high above the earth, so great is his mercy towards those who fear him. The mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, from generation to generation. Not only that, in Isaiah 33.6 it says, The fear of the Lord is his treasure. So the Lord can give a lot of gifts, but he has a treasure and he keeps it 
for his own children, for those who love him. It is a treasure. And therefore, when, when he makes a covenant, he says, I will give them one heart and one way that they may fear me forever for the good of them and their children after them. And I will make an everlasting covenant with them. And I will not turn away from doing them good, but I will put my fear in their hearts so that they will not depart from me. This is my treasure. I don't give it to anybody and everybody. I give it to those with whom I make a covenant, who are my, my people and I'm their God. Even the Messiah, the prophecy says that the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him, the Spirit of wisdom and understanding, the Spirit of counsel and might, the Spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord, and his delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. His delight shall be in the fear of the Lord. How can we... How can we get the fear of the Lord? Well, we can pray for it. Teach me your way, O Lord. I will walk in your truth. Unite my heart to fear your name. But then there is a very good counsel in the book of Proverbs. My son, if you receive my words and treasure my commands within you, so that you incline your ear to wisdom and apply your heart to understanding, yes, if you cry out for discernment, And lift up your voice for understanding. If you seek her as silver and search for her as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Well, somebody will say, oh, but that's the Old Testament, you know. The Old Testament is full of, you know, this fear. The New Testament is just, you know, the love of God. We're full of love. There's, we don't, you know, it's not the New Testament. It's not for New Testament believers. You know who, who's the first one to teach the fear of the Lord in the New Testament? It's the Lord Jesus himself. And I say to you, my friends, do not be afraid of those who kill the body. But after that, they have no more that they can do. But I will show you whom you should fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has power to cast into hell. Yes, I say to you, fear him. The churches throughout all Judea, Galilee, Samaria had peace and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Spirit were multiplied. So we are, we are to perfect holiness in the fear of the Lord. We are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Bond servants, they are to serve in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And we have received, we will receive an unshakable kingdom, so we must have grace with which to serve God acceptably, with reverence and godly fear. For God, our God, is a consuming fire. I won't go on, but that's just to give you... um, a feeling how important the fear of the Lord is in the New Testament for us as believers. A beautiful verse by, um, by Friedrich Faber, Oh, how I fear thee, living God, with deepest, tenderest fears, and worship thee with trembling hopes and penitential tears. Yet I may love you too, O Lord, almighty as thou art, 
For thou hast stooped to ask of me the love of my poor heart. O then this worse than worthless heart, in pity deign to take, and make it love thee for thyself and for thy glory's sake. No earthly father loves like thee, no mother half so mild, bears and forbears as thou hast done with me, thy sinful child. So I, I, I just want to read something for you. These are just various quotes, and I think the reason I quote is because I find them saying whatever I want to say much, much better than I ever would be able to say it, so I'd rather quote it. But humility, contrition, lowliness of mind are of the essence of godliness. You see that? Humility, contrition, and lowliness of mind are of the essence of godliness. The piety of the Bible is that of the contrite and humble spirit that trembles at God's word. The fear of the Lord is in which godliness consists is the fear which constrains adoration and love. It is the fear that consists in awe, reverence, honor, and worship, and all of these on the highest level of exercise. Disciples of Christ, hear the voice of your Father. Fear the Lord, ye his saints. Let reverent fear of the Lord and dread of all that might displease him or grieve him fill you. Then you will never have to fear any evil. He who fears the Lord and seeks to do all that pleases him, for him God will also do all that he desires. The childlike, believing fear of God will also do all, uh, the childlike, believing fear of God will lead you into the love and joy of the Lord, while slavish and unbelieving and cowardly fear will be utterly cast out. O oh God, unite my heart for the reverent fear of your name. May I always be among those who fear the Lord and hope in his mercy. Now you will notice what he said, and this is what brings me to the verses I read in the beginning. Humility, contrition, lowliness of mind are the essence of godliness. The piety of the Bible is that of a contrite and humble spirit that trembles at the word of God. What you might, I don't know whether you've ever thought about it, the difference between humility and contrition and brokenness. So humility is an attitude of the mind. You, you think humbly. Contrition is in your emotions. It is an attitude of being contrite, of being um, humbled before the Lord. Whereas brokenness is a brokenness of the will. It is, in essence, obedience. When God calls, you say, here I am, like Abraham. But let's look a few verses about contrition. And then we want to talk a little bit about contrition and brokenness. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O Lord, these, O, o God, these you will not despise. The Lord is near to those who have a broken heart and save such as have a contrite spirit. I, you know, we, we read that verse, for thus says the high and lofty one who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, 
I dwell in the high and holy place. And you say, you feel that reverence, the holiness. And then you're surprised by what he says next. And with him, with a contrite and humble spirit, to revive the spirit of the humble and to revive the heart of the contrite one. He draws near. It is like the broken heart, the contrite spirit, draws him to us. For when we offer that sacrifice, that sacrifice is acceptable before him. He is near to those who have broken heart. Those who have a contrite spirit, he saves. He dwells with them. He revives their spirit. He revives their heart. For he looks to those who are poor and of contrite spirit and tremble at his word. When the Lord Jesus went up the mount uh, to give the Sermon on the Mount and he began to say the Beatitudes, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are they who mourn, for they shall be comforted. In Luke it says, Blessed are you who weep, for you shall laugh. Godly sorrow produces repentance, leading to salvation, not to be regretted, because the sorrow of the world produces death. Abraham, when he was pleading for Sodom, he said, Indeed now, I who am but dust and ashes have taken upon myself to speak to the Lord. When Jacob made, you know, made an oath, um, they took, um, swore an oath with Laban. He swore by the God of his father Abraham. And did you notice that? And the fear of Isaac. The fear of his father Isaac. The impression he get, got of his father that he was a man who feared God. His God was the fear of Isaac. And even uh, Jacob, I'm not worthy of the least of all your mercies and all the truth which you have shown to your servant. David, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin my mother conceived me. Job, I have heard of you by the hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I abhor myself and repent in dust and ashes. Peter, depart from me, O Lord, for I am a sinful man. Paul, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptance, that Christ Jesus came to the world to save sinners of whom I am chief. Now, it's a, the reason why I'm focusing so much on this is because it is almost a paradox. The way to joy, the way to experiencing deeply the love of God, the way to real adoration and worship, to real fellowship and communion with God, is through brokenness and contrition. The more you plow the soil of your heart with brokenness and contrition for sin and godly sorrow, the more your heart will soar in worship to God. The more you are aware of how much you are an, you know, a, a poor, guilty, hell-deserving sinner saved by the grace of God, redeemed by the blood of Jesus, that you have nothing to boast of, the more, the more you humble yourself 
at the foot of the cross, the more your heart will burn within you with the love of God. In fact, we couldn't actually face our own hearts if it wasn't for the absolute knowledge that we are loved with an everlasting love that will never, ever let us go. It is in the, ever- in the eternal counsels of the Father and the love of Christ and his atonement and his blood and his intercession and the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and his covenant of grace that we know that we know that we are loved and loved with an everlasting love. And therefore, knowing that we are loved like that, he loves us while he knows very well that we are sinners. And this will enable us to look inside and see our hearts as it truly and really is. Yes, we are born again. We are children of God. We have received his spirit. We are justified by grace. We, you know, we have eternal life. But still, we are sinners. Sinners saved, saved by grace, yes, but sinners. And we need to be conscious of that. For that is what makes us appreciate the love of God. This is what makes Christ precious to us. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are you who weep. Why? Why would we mourn? Why would we weep? Well, is the Christian life so, so full of weeping and mourning and sorrow and that's all? No, no, no. The Apostle Paul says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. As poor and making many rich, as having nothing and yet possessing all things. This is the paradox of the Christian life. When I'm weak, then I'm strong. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. Why do we weep? We weep because of indwelling sin. The flesh, the self-life, the clinging corruption that cleaves to the believer, molesting him like a viper which he cannot shake off. The sin that so easily ensnares us, as it says in Hebrews. Only the precious blood of Jesus Christ can cleanse us and make us whiter than snow. And we need to constantly wash in that blood. We grieve because we carry within us that which is an enmity to God. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. And Jesus said, without me, you can do nothing. Nothing that's of any spiritual or eternal value at all. And our Lord told us, when you've done all your duty, if we ever do that, say we are unprofitable servants. We have done only what what our, our duty to do. That's why we, 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 we groan within us, as the Apostle Paul says, those we who have the first fruit of the Spirit, we groan within ourselves. We have forsaken sin, but sin will not forsake us. It pursues us, it tempts us, it tries to ensnare us. And this grieves us very much. We delight in the law of God according to the inner man, but there is another uh, law in our members that's waging war constantly against the war, the law of our minds. 
That's why Peter said, Beloved, I beg you as sojourners and pilgrims, abstain from fleshly lusts that war against the soul. The flesh lusts against the spirit and the spirit against the flesh. And these are contrary to one another that you do not do the things you wish. There are things you wish to do, but you can't really do them as you would want them because there is that conflict going on between the flesh and the spirit. And don't take that only about like fleshly passions only. It applies to pride and selfishness and lack of self-control and anger and judgmentalism and resentment and unforgiveness and jealousy and envy and you name them. Isn't that the experience of every one of us? We, we, we want to know God. We, we want to have fellowship with him. We want to spend time with him in prayer. We want to meditate on his word and delight in his word. But it's always a struggle, so often a struggle. Because there is in us that which is warring against us. It, may, it need not overcome us, but it will still grieve us. It will still um, make us mourn this, this thing in us. We, we, we weep because when we sin, we sin against the God who loves us. Because we grieve his heart. I acknowledge my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done this evil in your sight. We grieve because we cannot be more holy. We long, we long to be holy. We long to love the Lord with all our hearts. We long to please him. We long to walk with him in intimate fellowship and communion and to hear his voice and wait upon him and seek his face. But we so often fall short, far short, on what we should be, what we could have been if we were faithful and if we were watchful, and what our heart longs for in order to please God. That's why we mourn. That's why we grieve. But there are the tears that look bitter will really turn to tears of joy. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. It's the comfort and consolation of the Holy Spirit. This is an experience that, almost a paradox, that only one who experiences it will know it. That while you are weeping, while you are mourning for your sin, and looking to Jesus and looking to the cross, there is joy that you cannot express in your heart. The joy of knowing God's love, God's mercy, God's grace, God's forgiveness. They will be tears of repentance mingled with tears of joy. I'll quote this word from the Puritan Thomas Watson. Repenting tears are precious. God puts them in his bottle. Repenting tears are beautifying. To God, a tear in the eye adorns more than a ring on the finger Oil makes the face shine, but tears make the heart shine. Repenting tears are comforting. A sinner's mirth, laughter, will turn to melancholy and sadness. But a saint's mourning turns to music. Repentance may be bitter to the flesh, but most refreshing to the soul. Look, this, this is something we have, many times as Christians, we have come to take for granted that, you know, 
we will just grow in grace. You know, it's almost like you, you're, you're 10 and then you become 12 and then you become 15 and you become 20 and you're just growing. And you grow. You're a Christian. You grow. But growth in grace is not spontaneous. It is the work of grace in the heart to which we are, which we respond. That's why we work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Imagine you have a piece, a plot of ground that you want to make a beautiful garden full of beautiful flowers and beautiful vegetables and fruits and, you know, a, a really a joy to the one who looks at it. But you look at the ground, it's, there's, you know, there's nothing there at all. So you start to dig and, and you find that uh, the, the soil is so hard and you plow it and you dig it and then you put your precious seeds and then you water them every day and you put fertilizers, you nurture the seed, you keep watching or you watch over them. And then the weeds come out and you cut plucking the weeds, weeding, weeding, weeding. And then the pests come and you, you, you drive off the pests, you try to get rid of them. And you, know, and, you, and you can't keep doing it only once. You have to keep doing it and doing it until finally you have a beautiful garden, a joy to the Lord, a delight to his heart. That garden is your heart and my heart. And once we've finally made a little plot of a nice garden, there is so much more ground out there. You try to expand the garden a little bo- bit more. So while you are working on the new piece of garden, you have to keep looking back at the one that you've already made so that weeds don't grow into it and pests don't come to it and destroy everything you've done. There is watchfulness. There is vigilance. There is prayerfulness. There is, let's say, let's face it, hard work. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. Labor to enter through the narrow gate. There is an exertion for the Christian, for the believer, in order to grow in grace and and to pursue holiness and to practice godliness and to keep his heart every day with fear and trembling, to keep his heart with all diligence. We need to be vigilant and watchful. The path we follow is a perilous path. The best image I can give of it is Pilgrim's Progress. I mean, this is a masterpiece of the Christian life because this whole story is really happening in the heart of the Christian. And the path is a path that's full of dangers. Without and within, there is the flesh, uh, the, our hearts that can deceive us. There are enemies lying at wait, uh, waiting to pounce on us. The spirit of the, of the world is trying to entice us and deceive us and defile us. And we must be watchful. Put on the whole armor of God. And it's only by keeping our hearts humble and tender and broken before the Lord, totally dependent on him, you know, cleaving to him, grasping at him for dear life. Because, you know, we often think of salvation. Uh, Jesus died on the cross and rose again and we're saved. And what is he doing in heaven, interceding for us for? Do you think we can do without that? It is with the, without his continual ministry on behalf of his people, interceding for us, 
continued interceding for us, we would be lost. It is the Father's watch care, the Son's intercession, the indwelling of the Spirit, and his unchangeable covenant and oath and promise that keep us. And therefore, we have to cling to the Lord as, as perishing without him. And that, that deep sense of brokenness, of need, of dependence, of indebtedness to the grace of God is that will carry us through, through this perilous path that is so full of enemies. He giveth more grace when the burdens grow greater. He sendeth more strength when the labors increase. To added afflictions, he addeth his mercy. To multiplied trials, his multiplied peace. When we have exhausted our store of endurance, when our strength has failed, are the days half done. When we reach the end of our hoarded resources, our Father's full giving is only begun. His love has no limits. His grace has no measure. His power has no boundary known unto men. For out of his infinite riches in Jesus, he giveth and giveth and giveth again. I, if, I, if there is one thing I want you to carry with you, it is this adoration and true worship and true experience of the love of God, the love of Christ, the, and the grace of God, and the intimate fellowship and worship and walking in the fear of the Lord can only grow when you freshly plow your heart with brokenness and contrition for sin and a deep sense of your need, your deep need, not just in words. It is so easy to repeat what I said now. So easy. What it matters is to feel it in your heart. For it is out the heart, out of the heart, are the issues of life. Not your intellect and your mind and your thoughts. So easy. You can easily do that. But to say something and to feel it, to feel it in your heart, to be broken before the Lord, and then the Lord, in his grace, may give you and give me the gift of tears when we weep, tears that are given by the grace of God to those who are humbling themselves before him, tears that wash and tear that, tears that comfort and tears that bring joy. Um, There was, um, Charles Simeon was one of the greatest and most persuasive preachers that the Church of England has ever known. And he said this, I would have the whole of my experience one continued sense, first of my nothingness and dependence on God, second of my guiltiness and desert before him, third of my obligations to redeeming love as utterly overwhelming me with its incomprehensible extent and grandeur. Now I do not see why any of these should swallow up the other. He was convinced that the biblical doctrines at once most abase the heart and gladden the soul. So he, he once came very near to death. He was very sick, and then he said, Standing as I do on the very brink and precipice of the eternal world, 
I desire nothing so much as the broken and contrite spirit. I hang upon the Savior as actually perishing without his unbounded mercy and unintermittent care. I look to him as the chief, very chief of sinners, and in this frame of mind, I find perfect peace. I could go on and on, but I just want to impress this on our heart today. When you bring a sacrifice to God, the sacrifice of God is a broken heart. He will not despise the broken and the contrite spirit. He is near those who have a contrite heart. He saves those who have a broken heart and a contrite spirit. He looks to them. He dwells with them. And this isn't this what we really want? It will not come by striving. It will not come by trying to make it up. It is not something that you can contrive by willpower. It is a gift of grace to the heart that seeks God with all its heart. If you seek God with all your heart, you will seek me and you will find me when you seek for me with all your heart. Seeking him. Not even seeking a religious experience or a spiritual experience. Not uh, seeking blessing on ministry or this or that. It is seeking Jesus. Seeking the Father. Seeking fellowship. Communion, delight in him, knowing him, loving him, worshipping him, fearing him, trusting him, waiting on him, seeking his face, listening to his voice. This is our inheritance as God's children. He sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. The spirit witnesses with our spirits that we are children of God. This is our inheritance. So, Again, let us plow our hearts, not in any artificial way. Not in, this is totally different from any low self-esteem or a guilty conscience or these kind of, all these things. This is a genuine spiritual longing and yearning for the living God. Oh God, you are my God. Early will I seek you. My soul longs for you. My flesh thirsts for you. My soul thirsts for you. As a heart pants for the water brooks, whom have I in heaven but you? There is none upon earth that I desire beside you. This is our calling. This is what God, I will be your God and you will be my people. We will have that intimate relationship, that very close fellowship and communion. You will, you can, I will speak to you face to face as a man speaks with his friend. We can have that fellowship We can have that communion, but the secret of the Lord is to those who fear him. And if you fear him, you will have a broken and contrite heart and spirit. And you will humble yourself and walk softly before the Lord in humility and the fear of the Lord. Let us pray. O Lord our God, we come before you with a grateful, thankful heart. There is so much more one could say, but may our hearts absorb that message. May that our hearts absorb this truth. You call to us to come and follow you, for you are meek and lowly of heart, and we will find rest for our souls. May we seek to cultivate in the depth of our heart that fear of the Lord and that broken and contrite spirit 
which is of great value. It's a great precious, it's precious in your eyes. The inner man, the hidden man of the heart that seeks you in sincerity with all our hearts. We love you, Lord. May you give us the grace to be well-pleasing in your sight in everything we say and do and think in all our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.